Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. So it is Divine Mercy Sunday as we record this, and it's the end of the Easter octave. We have celebrated this completely, have we not? We have celebrated. <laughs> I heard, indeed, we have. I heard someone else saying, uh, I think it was Ed Condon at the Pillar, saying that uh, it can become repetitive, the prayers. Yes. It's the same prayers every day. And it's tempting. It was the, he, he quoted someone else saying, Catholics are good at Lent, but we're not good at Easter. This we're is good true. at fasting, you know, and penance, but we're not as good at feasting at least i think american catholics i think uh catholics in other countries like italy you know and some of the european countries are pretty good at the feast uh but yeah i think we're we often have trouble with these holidays holy days and this celebration and we get we get bored of the repetition i mean you were saying this week that you had trouble i always have trouble with easter week and the repetition Though this year, um, and we I just want to specify the repetition yeah. in like the divine office and right. the mass readings and that sort of stuff because it's the same. It's every day is the same day. It's because it's all Sunday. The mass readings aren't. I'm, I don't mean but, like the, yeah. the Bible readings, but the prayers. The, the but the uh, yeah the divine office when you when you pray it it's Sunday week one every day for eight days, and um, that that can be challenging, especially I think. When you have ADHD tendencies and your mind tends to wander, like one reason why I tend to pick the divine office rather than the rosary is because the variation helps me to focus. And I have a hard time focusing when it's the same. I have found that this year, actually listening to the um, Sing the Hours podcast has helped me because he's actually varying the hymn most days and he sometimes switches between latin and english for some of the prayers and he's using different psalm tones for some of the prayers so like even though he's it's the same prayers they don't sound exactly the same every right. day and i like that variation within it's it's a sort of musical variation like variations on a theme yeah um so I've, i'm finding that helpful uh and this year uh my friend Aaron and I decided to spend some time meditating on the exultate th- during the entire Easter season. So this week we've been focusing on the first three stanzas. Um, that's the prayer that the deacon intones at the Easter vigil in praise of the Easter candle. Right. And uh, that's been really, really delightful um, just to spend some time looking at it sort of, we're looking at it, as a poem, as a prayer, we're looking at the Latin and as well as the English. And uh, my friend Aaron, who's kind of a language geek, is also bringing in like, Ooh, what does the French do with this translation? And what does the Italian do? And uh, so trying to sort of do a 
meditation on what what is it that we are we're praying there at the vigil? It goes by so it's beautiful and it's one of my favorite prayers it's of one the, of the whole best year. prayers. Yeah. Um but it goes by for it pretty quickly at the vigil. And so really taking the time to to really think about it and ponder it in a deeper way is has been really nice as a Easter meditation. I'm hoping that it will last us at least through a good deal of the Easter season. That's awesome. I like that idea. I started praying the rosary daily at the beginning of Lent as, as one of my new Lent disciplines. I I have not been a like daily rosary prayer before um, for those reasons, because I find it hard to concentrate. And to be honest, I'm, I've begun having trouble concentrating and getting distracted and my mind wanders. I start thinking about things I need to do. It's very hard for me to be quiet like that and focused. Um, I suppose I've got ADHD tendencies too. I mean, it's any wonder that anyone in our culture has, has ADHD uh, tendencies. Uh, so sometimes I use certain apps that provide extra prayers or like a, a verse, like a scriptural rosary to help me concentrate. I like to have images for each of the mysteries that I can medit- you know, meditate on, look at, um, that sort of thing. So, um, But I have to admit, there have been times where I stop in the middle of a rosary to write something down because the thought occurred to me and I don't want to forget it. Um, I hope uh, the Lord and Our Lady... <laughs> understand lord you made me this way (laughs) that's that's kind of what i figure is you know this is the brain that god gave me and if it's distractible well then god meant me to pray with this brain and not with some other brain Um, and therefore i think that that trying to work with who i am and find ways to pray and to be mindful it's a challenge, but it's also kind of, I think it can become, if we, if we stop fighting it and more to lean into it, you know, God, who who did you make me to be and how do you want mm-hmm. me to be? It can be less frustrating. Well, and then just getting the thing out of my mind, I think I'm less distracted if I just write it down. If I pause and write it down and deal with it later, then if I worry that I'm going to forget while I'm trying to pray. Right. And I think I think that's just just deal with I just rather stop deal with it and move on, which I guess is kind of a parent thing, right? right. You know, children interrupt us all the time in the middle of whatever, and you know, so you stop what you're doing, deal with it, and then get back to what you were doing. Right. I mean, as a parent, like those that that is what God is calling you to do at that moment, mm. right? And if the thing that's like intruding in your thoughts is you know part of your responsibilities, then I think maybe taking care of those is is important. Right. Um, and maybe that's, you know, God reminding you to do something that you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. So we'll keep working at it, we, you know, and, and hopefully the Lord will lead us. There is, a, I think, needs more needs to be explored in this area because it's not just one way to be a good, holy person. You know, the the stereotype of the you know, quiet, contemplative, perfectly still, you know, in church. I mean, so many saints weren't that way. Right. (laughs) Well, St. Therese actually, I think, might have had ADHD tendencies listening, looking at some of her struggles. Like, she really struggled with prayer, Uh um, with praying the rosary. And she said that sometimes she found the most fruitful prayer was just to say the Our Father really slowly meditating on each word one at a time. And that sounds to me like somebody who's 
you know, who does struggle with mm. distraction. And I just think of all the times where like the, the children of Fatima praying the rosary wrong. Like they weren't, they weren't actually saying the hail Marys. They were just saying the words, hail, hail Mary, the words, hail Mary, hail Mary, hail Mary, hail Mary, hail Mary, hail Mary, our father, hail Mary. <laughs> and then the angel appeared and said, stop it. <laughs> He didn't, but he did appear and correct them and teach them to how to pray the rosary properly. And yet, at the same time, if they hadn't been praying it badly, would they have been open to the experience of the divine? They, like, would they have been open to the mystery? They the mystery? did get an apparition. Right. <laughs> they I did mean, become saints. I mean, I think that praying badly can be... You know, it's opening the door. It's 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 inviting God in. And or I think praying the best because it's not so much praying badly as in praying the best way they could at the time. Right. Trying. Trying is trying. really really. But but I mean, objectively speaking, there's there's something imperfect yeah. and incomplete in the way they were praying. Right. You know, in an objective sense. But yet being open and trying and reaching, reaching toward God like like a little child. Mama, 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 mama. Right. Yes, dear. Don't don't say mama, mama over and over again. Just say what. Just call my name once and then tell me what you want. <laughs> I've heard that conversation in this very house. All right. So let's talk about stuff we've been doing this week. Uh, on Friday, we knew we were going to have some wonderful weather. We had two days of basically summer like weather in the middle of April, the beginning of April. Uh, and uh, we, we knew that early in the week. We said we've got to take a day. So I uh, took a day off from work, mostly. <laughs> I did do some work early and late on Friday. And we decided to take a, we were trying to figure out what to do. Do we go into the city? Do we go to a museum? Should we go for a hike in the woods? And then we saw that the weather was going to be like 80, what was it, 86 degrees was the high for on Thursday and Friday. And we're like, mm, hike in the woods sounds really hot. And I said, well, why don't we go down to the Cape, Cape Cod? And visit my dad's grave, which I haven't been to yet, because we um, I'll tell you where he is in a second. And then we could go to a beach afterward for have a picnic lunch. And we thought that was a great idea. So my dad is buried at the Bourne National Military Cemetery, which is uh, on the uh, Joint Base Cape Cod military base uh, in Bourne, Massachusetts. So it's just on the other side of the Cape Cod Canal on Cape Cod, obviously. and um, Cape Cod is it, there's a canal that cuts it that was built by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers whenever years ago uh, that basically turned the Cape into an island and it's connected by several bridges and it's about an hour away right a little bit over an hour maybe from here and to, to get there so we drove down uh, and uh, it's a, we we got to the place there's a visitor center. And we went and they have a little computer there where you can look up, you know, the name and then get a printed map to tell you how to find the grave. And because it, it's a really large place and all, it's all of like in most military cemeteries, it's not the the markers are not standing up like you see in images of, um, say, Arlington National Cemetery. There are just plaques, stone plaques on the ground, uh, flat on the ground. And it's a big, beautiful pastoral place. And um, so the, the map directed us to where to go. And then we found my, my dad's marker and we took a few moments to say a prayer and just to remember him. 
And uh, then we actually took a few minutes to walk around looking at the others. And so all of the, all of the graves are sort of in chronological order of, of the, when the people died, they just kind of you're next. And uh, you know, one after the other, which is kind of interesting the way they do that. And um, so it's kind of interesting to see the other people around my dad there and to think about all these men and women who served our country and fought in wars. Most of the ones around my dad were Korean war. They're about that age. Some were world war two, some Vietnam. One guy was uh, Vietnam in the Gulf war, which was interesting. And uh, yeah. And say a few prayers for all of them. Like I, I kind of felt like it was nice too. Um, the kids were all, we, I think it's, I'm trying to think of if we'd taken them to a cemetery before, apart from the two funerals. I mean, we, we've been to cemeteries, just not, not people, we were visiting, a not grave where of people, we knew. right. Not where people we knew, but just visiting cemeteries, looking at the tombstones, praying for the people, but strangers. And cemeteries are very, usually pretty pastoral, quiet. <laughs> I mean, we, you, we used to go walking with Bella in the cemetery in Salem when, when she was a baby. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have always liked walking in cemeteries. And so I've definitely taken the kids to visit cemeteries before. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first time I think they've been to like a relative's grave. Yeah. And that's different. Very, yeah, very different. So, um, Although um, some of them we went with to my, my grandfather's grave up in Danvers. Right, but not a relative. I mean, but not someone they then, knew. that's not somebody they knew. Right. They they never met your grandfather. Right. Or, or nor did I. Right. <laughs> it died uh, two decades plus before I was born. So, um, yeah. And Ben had an interesting statement about the uh, about the cemetery. He talked about how he he would like to work in a place like that. Yeah, he said it just would be a, a nice place to work. I think because you know, a it's quiet, it's beautiful and peaceful, um, and there's a bit of a murk of mercy. I think in in him, there's that sense of serving. It's a way to serve others, right? Um, I mean, right. Burial of the dead is one of the corporal works of mercy, and. To to want to do that, I mean that impulse, yeah, is a good one. Yeah, and there's an I think there's a natural sense of service in Ben, which I I think actually it would really suit him if that was something he pursued in the future. I think yeah, I could definitely see it. I was like, wow, I could really see that. It's you know would be outdoors, and he he likes physical labor. He likes physical labor. He likes being outside. He, it would be kind of quiet. I mean, there's not a lot of loud noises and stuff in a cemetery right uh, not a lot of loud conversation even among the people who work there it's it tends to be quieter and more reverent and i noticed that they were they were doing some renovation work in the particular part of the cemetery the field where my dad uh, is buried and uh the the guys there was while we were there were, were pretty kind of quiet and respectful and right. st- weren't working while we right, were there. They stopped working as long as we were visiting. And then I noticed as soon as we left, they, they were burying someone. Yeah. They pulled a coffin out of the truck and they were lowering it into the ground. Right. But but I, I appreciated the fact that they were giving us space. Yeah. And, you know, waiting. 
Yeah, the way it works is when there's a burial at the the national the military cemetery, they the there's a committal ceremony at particular designated chapel like areas in one part of the cemetery, and it's it's a in precise military operation, as as you'd expect, and um, but they're buried later. You know the 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 you know you have the ceremony, then you leave, and then they'll bury them later because, like I said, they're all buried consecutively, and there's they'll have multiple people buried in one day. Sometimes it looks like, um, you know, one right after the other. Right. So, uh, so then after that, we we went to. Uh, Born is right next to Falmouth, so we went. To, we were gonna. We we're we're heading to one particular. I picked a beach at random, just you know, which which, which beach should we go to? We were thinking about this one beach, and that's like a thirty-five minute drive, so that's kind of far. And the kids are hungry. Oh, what's closer? Like, oh, this beach over here looks interesting, and it's a public beach. So let's go over that. And then we started driving that direction, and then we realized. Then I suddenly, out of the blue, went, "Wait, who?" grabbed the bag with the bread and the chips in it so we were like you said like, picnicking i did not think of it until that moment yeah we were gonna do cool cuts and like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that we made like i had a cooler full of all that stuff uh but we had a separate bag that had chips and and bread the bread for the sandwiches and so like oh great so you know we had to pivot and um i told you to look up any nearby markets or grocery stores and he found one, and so we got off of, off the uh, road and drove over to this this one particular one, uh, the Falmouth Market, which was busy, busy, super busy. It was uh, it's it must be a really popular place for people to go. They they because they sell they look like they sold sandwiches and other food like prepared foods in addition to being like a market. Yeah, people were buying like pizza by the slice. Right. So uh, so you got the bread and the chips and and uh, and then I, I while you were in the store I was looking. To if there was anything close for a beach, and so we found this one place called Chappaquoit Beach, and uh, so yeah, just went. And just the nice thing about Cape Cod, you know, there there are all these little beaches everywhere, and like there are the big popular beaches, and then there are the town beaches where you have to be a resident to go to, and then there are all these other little beaches that are kind of scattered about that are public beaches, and especially if you go off season like we are now, uh, you know you can park and pretty easily and get access and so that's what we did and it's this little spot and this may be like 25 parking spots and there were a bunch of people there because like i said the the weather was amazing right and it's the kind of place you couldn't be you couldn't visit during the summer season because it would be closed well it would be too busy or or the or you'd have to pay for parking or it would be resident only yeah it was one of those one of those one of those scenarios so, uh, yeah, but there were a bunch of people there. No one's swimming. It's, it, I don't care how hot it is. You don't yeah, swim in the, there in the was, Atlantic. And, there was one woman. Oh, my gosh. She must have been Canadian or something. Cause she, she, I, and it was it was like a quick dash in and then dash out. Yeah. And she was shivering. But, yeah, there's always there's always someone. Guy. I mean, I was I was waiting for one of our kids to go diving into the water. Uh, so, yeah. So we made some sandwiches, ate them on the, you know, the back bumper of the, the van and or the side door open in the van and then uh, you took all the kids for a walk down the beach and I just kind of hung out by the car reading my book and it was nice beautiful day it was gorgeous yeah and it would have been hot here at our house but it was nice and cool there yeah it was yeah like I said it was it was like 80s mid 80s high 80s here at our house but down on the cape 
75 with a breeze. Perfect. That's why the Cape is so awesome. It's just uh, like even when it's hot elsewhere, it's just perfect weather there. So, uh, yeah, so that was a really nice day. And then we got back and our plan had been to make pizza, grilled pizzas. And I was like, eh, I'm too tired. Let's just we order were, pizza. We ordered pizza. <laughs> after, after like a day, a day of driving, I'm like, man, let's just order pizza. So that's what we did. So today, Sunday, Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, was my family's get-together day for Easter. We didn't get together on Easter itself. I think I mentioned this last time. Uh, but uh, because my brother and his wife were driving back from Georgia, they were had gone down to visit with my nephew who and his wife, who uh, he's in the Army, and he's deployed. In fact, he deployed yesterday with his unit for a year, nine months, but, you know, practically speaking, probably a year um, to Europe with his uh, unit. He's with the 3rd Infantry Division. He's a Black Hawk pilot. And so he's over in Eastern Europe in uh, for the next nine months or so. So they had gone down to help his um, his wife pack up their apartment. She's going to move in with her parents up here for while he's gone. And um, then they, they drove his pickup truck, my nephew's pickup truck up here to keep up up at his, at uh, my brother's house. So that was last week. So we decided, you know, the whole family decided to have our get together at his house this week. We have a little potluck. So I made um, some uh, wings, buffalo wings and soy sauce wings, and everybody brought something and we all shared and it was really nice. Um, And you you know, you had a pound cake. We'll talk about in a bit. And uh, the second of the two key lime pies you made last week, we took that out of the freezer and brought that. So it was really nice. Did a lot of talking. Uh, we talked at length about uh, my two brothers and their families had gone to Rome a few, three weeks ago. They had gone for a week. My uh, my brother's niece, my brother's daughter, my niece, <laughs> all, all these relationships keep them straight in my head. Um, she's on her Rome semester at University of Dallas. So they all flew over to spend a week over there and visit with her. And it was my brother, my oldest brother, Bernie. It was his first in uh, trip to Rome. And my brother, John has been there 12 times. So uh, he was sort of the tour leader. Bernie's first time to Europe at all. Probably. Yeah. I think it was his first trip. Yeah. Across the ocean at all. Uh, Carol, his wife is from Ireland. So not her first trip to Ireland, uh, to Europe, but I think it was her first trip to Rome. But it sounded awesome. I mean, I just I've I've only, I've been to Rome twice, but the last time was twenty three years ago. So it, yeah, quite a long time. So um, pretty. It sounded like a pretty awesome time. It was amazing, and all the the food sounded great. I'm like, if I just, if I lived in Rome, I would get so fat, or at least fatter, because it just the food just sounds amazing. Um, yeah, and then. Um, then we talked about upcoming weddings. We had two family weddings last year. We got another one this year, maybe more. We're kind of in that stage where all the uh, nieces and nephews are pairing off with their future spouses and spouses and starting their own families. Yep. Yeah. Pretty nice. So, yeah. It's a nice. It was, it felt very quiet and it felt weird without so, your mom there. It was our first holiday without either of my parents so um yeah it was especially it was especially quiet without my dad (laughs) (laughs) and 
Yeah, it was kind of weird to have. It was our, yeah, I mean, and the first time we'd all been together since the funeral. Right. We all been in the same place since the funeral. So it was, um, there was a few poignant moments yeah. of uh, remembrance and tears. Um, but, but in general, pretty happy um, gathering. Pretty, it was a nice, very nice time. I'm so glad we did that. So, so let's talk about some food that we've cooked. And let's talk about that, the pound cake you made, the cherry almond pound cake. So tell me about it. Um, it was an attempt to combine two different recipes and it was somewhat successful. So the two recipes were a velvet pound cake from King Arthur Baking. Right. And a cherry almond pound cake from katiescucina.com. Yeah. And it, it was okay. It wasn't what I had envisioned. Why did you try to combine these two recipes? What were you trying to accomplish by bringing in the velvet pound cake? What was it about the other one that you didn't feel like it was sufficient? Um, I don't like you're asking me to reconstruct a thought process. <laughs> no, I'm just curious, like because several days ago, this one is clearly a cherry almond pound cake. It's like two sticks of butter, one and a half cups of flour, cup of sugar, almond extract, eggs, salt, and dried cherries. And where's the oh the almond extract? Whereas the velvet pound cake is butter. Cream cheese. Did you add cream cheese? I did add cream cheese. I, I, I think I, I was really enamored of the King Arthur's and I kind of had more. Uh, but you wanted something more than confidence. Just, yeah. I had more confidence in the King Arthur's proportions just because I feel like King Arthur is a. They have a their professional kitchen. Right. Test kitchen, etc. Um, however, by adding in the cherries, I kind of added in a wild card so that doesn't necessarily like um i i was i i messed with so what's what did you feel was insufficient what what didn't work it wasn't you said it wasn't as moist as it you wasn't wanted? as moist as i so I, I decided to try to to amp up the moisture by um pouring uh what do you call it so soaking the cake so there are, there's a technique where you after use, it's cooked after it's cooked when it's still hot you poke holes in it with a toothpick and you pour a a uh, some liquid sir, some some yeah liquid in it so I did like part simple syrup part um amaretto liquor liqueur and it only really soaked like the first like the top I felt like the only really could taste it in the top like inch of so of the cake you could yeah in fact you could see it when you slice the cake there's like an inch of where it's right in. so I don't know how to get it to penetrate deeper maybe I needed to use more it was Probably. pretty wet yeah that that's the thing is is it would be a pretty wet like you'd have to make a cake that's I think fairly dry to absorb all that and not turn into mush. Like the cake itself. Like, don't you do that with like tres leches cake? Like you, you make a cake and then you pour. Well, but, but this is a technique that's specifically used with pound cakes. So, um, a pound cake is, is a fairly dense cake. Anyway, I had soaked my, um, my cherries, but they were still 
a little bit on the dry side, even after I had soaked them. So I don't know. It's just, mm. I, I didn't feel like the flavors popped the way I would want them to. Uh, oh, I mean, uh, sure. I liked it. <laughs> it tasted good to me. <laughs> um, I mean, it, I mean, it, I, I, can, I understand you, you were looking for a particular like wow factor that maybe it didn't have. I think it was right. a good cake. Um, Trying to figure out like what would take what it would take to adjust it to make it more like what you were envisioning. There's there's a real art to that, um, right? To understand that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, basically, with you, you, it sounds like what you did was take the velvet pound cake recipe from King Arthur and added the soaked dried cherries to it, right? Um, and then did this. Uh, liquid pouring over the liquid thing soaking the pound cake right thing but i wonder and then, if it, I, and then i added a glaze on top yes i wonder if if you really you need to like just yeah drown it kind of probably yeah i could see like being kind of wary of overdoing it because like i said you don't want to turn to mush right yeah exactly mm. i don't know i mean it was it was a fun experiment and i want to try to find something more anyway yeah well hey i will uh gladly uh encourage you to make more pound cake <laughs> um i wonder if you can make a lemon pound cake with limoncello Ooh, that sounds good your brother john had some speaking of limoncello yeah had some really good limoncello right from that he brought back from italy i i tell you like good, like bad limoncello is c sort of like cough like syrup, cough syrup, like lemon cough syrup. Good limoncello is like, oh, I don't know, like melted lemon gelato. <laughs> it can be really good and really dangerously good. It it almost tastes like lemon pudding. Like it has that real lemon. Yeah. Kick. It, yeah. I, I know like there's a way to make your own at home by, you know, getting, you know, Green, uh, green alcohol or whatever and putting lemon zest in it and all this sort of stuff but that just feels that that i think would come out too harsh i'd rather just buy really good lemon jello keep it in the free keep it in the freezer is the best part because it makes it all kind of thick and cold and yum in the summer having like a nice lemon cello on a hot day oh man that's just really good so, all right, let's talk about some things we've watched. We didn't, we forgot to talk last week. Oh, by the way, uh, I do want to mention we got some feedback from one of our listeners who recommended that we try to make uh, America's Test Kitchen's sour orange pie. So uh, we will have to try to make that sometime because it does sound really good. It's, it's almost like a key lime pie, except with orange. And it, because it uses sweetened condensed milk um, in, a, in a crust. But you um, use orange juice concentrate and uh, lemon zest, orange zest. Uh, yeah. So it sounds really good. So we'll have to give that a try. So thanks for that recommendation. All right. So, yes, last week we forgot to talk about The Mandalorian Episode 6. And we've since watched Episode 7 as well. So let's briefly talk about those. Um Episode six, they went to the Epcot planet where they ran into Jack Black and Lizzo and Christopher Lloyd. You could put it like that <laughs> and totally like ruin everything that was awesome about that episode. But sure, I, that, I think could... that makes it sound pretty awesome, actually. It it was 
it was a fun episode. It was a fun episode. It was sort of like a little bit of a buddy cop uh, interlude for Mando and Bo-Katan. Mando and Bo-Katan go on a side quest. Yeah. You had me at droids. <laughs> um, that, that was, it was a fun episode. I really liked it. Um, it was just sort of a, yes, yeah, so you have a task to do in order to get to the next part of it, the thing that you want to do. It felt a little video gamey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, with the ending, um, I, I don't really I don't think I want to spoil it, but there was no. a there was a bit of a end action scene uh, where a big plot point got resolved or at least taken to the next level. Um, and uh, it, that was pretty cool. It was, that was a, it was a cool scene. Yeah. And then episode seven. Oh, my gosh. Like the twist. There was some good twists there. So it's the penultimate episode. So the episode eight is the final episode of the season. So they really put our heroes into the grinder in episode seven. Some unexpected turns, some revelations. Um, yeah. Oh, I got to mention IG-12. Grogu has his, is now driving his own assassin droid, <laughs> which is awesome. I, I can't wait for that toy to come out. <laughs> no kidding. This is the way. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, the Mandalorian episode seven, you know, heading up to the finale has got us on a cliffhanger. So what happens next? It's taken our heroes into a bad place. How do they get out of it? It's, this is going to be an interesting, uh, episode coming up. And, uh, I wonder how much of a cliffhanger they're going to leave us on for the season or if we're going to have a, a resolution. Oh, man. There's so many different ways that it could go, and I am pretty sure I have no idea what's going to happen next. Right. Well, I have no because I don't know how much longer they're go this series is going to go on for either. Is it, you know, are we even going to get another season? We're going to get two more seasons? They've already talked about a, a movie that wraps up the whole Mando-verse, the Boba Fett, Mandalorian, the Ahsoka series, which is only just starting. That's uh, going to be interesting. That I, That's probably a few years down the road. So we also finally watched uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the, the Black Panther uh, sequel movie. Uh, we, we got to watch that on Disney Plus as well uh, the, the other night. And uh, what'd you think of that one? It was good. I mean, it wasn't my favorite. Um, but I didn't. I didn't dislike it. It uh, felt like it was not as as finely honed as the, the original, first, the original Black yeah. Panther. I mean, I think anything without Chadwick Boseman is going to be. They had an impossible task. Right. Yeah. Um, I I like uh, Shuri. The actress. Yeah. The character and the actress who plays. Right. Her. Yeah. Um, she's and, and I think she went on an interesting character journey. Yeah. Um. It was a about, lot of movie about faith. There's a lot of faith in it. It was a lot about faith. It was, and it was a movie about grief. It was a movie about loss. And it was a movie about how to channel one's grief and loss in a way that's not destructive. Which, I mean, this is a theme that Marvel has come back to over and over again, has, hasn't mm -hmm. it? I mean, it's it's kind of an overarching theme of the series in a way. And I, I liked the way they explored that. Um, I was not as fond of the antagonists in that I felt like they set up an antagonist who they wanted to make the antagonist not a villain and yet 
they kind of have to be a villain. And I felt like there was no way to resolve it that was going to be satisfactory. Right. Right. Well, yeah, I mean. Because because they created a really super sympathetic cause for the villain to be representing. Well, Namor is a character out of the comic books. Right. And he is like this in the comic books, apparently, where he is. He's sort of a gray character. He's not good. He's not evil, but he's sort of in the middle. Right. And I guess that ambiguity is frustrating to me. I kind of prefer. I mean, I don't mind villains who get reformed, but it felt like they didn't want to set him up as like a sort of Darth Vader character who is like a good guy and then he falls and then he like is redeemed. It felt like there was not really much potential for redemption in the way they were telling the story. It was instead he's still stuck in limbo. Right. He's neither good nor bad. He's he's neither resolved his conflict nor nor is he like turned to the dark side completely. And I felt like the cultural issues that they're exploring felt like they kind of muddied the waters in terms of what they're doing with the character. Right. I mean, because his people are sort of Mayan. Yep. And I think that we are sort of culturally predisposed to want them to be like sort of the underdogs. We want to cheer for them because they've been oppressed. They were like his origin story is sort of like you want to, to be sympathetic to him. And yet he's kind of not really all that sympathetic because he wants to burn everything down. Right. I mean, they made him, I'm going to destroy the world except for my country and yours. That's kind of a dumb I mean, I suppose it's not that different from what they were doing with Killmonger. But with Killmonger, there was sort of that personal vengeance motive. You know, my uncle killed my father. It was sort of almost a Hamlet sort of right. storyline. And he, he had more of a tragic story. I mean, Killmonger had a tragic story. He was sort of a tragic anti-hero type. Yes. Whereas I feel Namor is not really fish or fowl. <laughs> See so what you did speak. there. He, <laughs> that's even better than I, than I first thought. Yeah, that's, he is neither fish nor fowl. Um, <laughs> I mean, it had lots of cool technology. Uh, we got Martin Freeman as Ross again. With the bizarre American accent he does. Like, it's a good American accent, but it's just bizarre to see Martin Freeman doing one. Um <laughs> Yeah, the cast was great. Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda was really great. I, I like what they did with Queen Ramonda in yeah. this. She really took center stage. And I like what they did with her character. I, I felt like she has been in the background sort of as the Queen Mother in yep. the original Black Panther movie. And here she really got to shine as the ruling queen. And right. And she was strong and forthright and also a concerned mother for her daughter who, like I mentioned, this like themes of faith because Shuri is uh, is a materialist. She does not believe in an afterlife. She doesn't believe in the spiritual uh, realm and spiritual life. And so uh, 
you know, and thus, you know, and the ancestors and contact with the ancestors is a huge part of the Wakandan culture and and belief. And so that is a big problem that has to be resolved for her before she can move on. So that was a really good element in this is like this this concept of grief and denial and um, faith. Although I, I that was another place where I wasn't 100 percent satisfied with how they resolved it at the end. They didn't they didn't actually really deal with it. No, they didn't really deal with whether or not she changed her mind, changed her mind yeah. or she came to belief. And in a way, I think that the writers were a little bit stuck because the person she most needed to see in the afterlife is someone that they can't show is her. Someone, they can't do that. All they could they show, can't show her Chadwick Boseman. Right. She couldn't have a conversation with Chadwick Boseman because he's gone. And therefore, all they could do was show some flashbacks. And yet, because they're flashbacks and not a one on one encounter in the same way that T'Challa met T'Chaka in yeah. the Black Panther. There's that lack of that encounter. Well, she has another encounter, which, well, okay, isn't the resolution that she needs in the end to become a whole person. It's a different kind of encounter. Right. And I feel like I feel like maybe they're just setting it up for she's she still has more journey to go and she she's still. Not everything needs to be resolved in one movie, as we've seen, like Tony Stark's character dilemmas weren't resolved in the first or the second Iron Man movie. And even the third Iron Man movie didn't completely resolve it. He didn't really reach the end of his character arc until until the end of his character arc. Until (laughs) until Endgame. Endgame. Yeah. And and so I, I think that. On one level, I want to give Marvel the credit for having these complex characters who can whose arcs span multiple movies. That is a bold move and it allows for deeper storytelling. Like I feel like if you consider Tony Stark's character arc through the three Iron Man movies plus the Avengers movies and the Captain America movies. And the Captain America movies, you really get a complex character who has time to grow and change and deepen and develop and I like that and I I'm sad that they didn't get a chance to do that with Black Panther yeah and therefore I think that this movie could only be a movie about the grief that they didn't have the chance to have that kind of story there's a lot of grief in this story and it it in some ways it kind of weighs the movie down but it's a story that had to be told because the because the beloved character Chadwick Boseman, who is just so great in the role, died. I mean, this would have like this is what you'd have to do with like Thor if God forbid something happened to Chris Hemsworth. Like you'd have to have a movie dealing with you can't just ignore the fact that he's gone or just replace the actor. Right. You can't just recast it. So, you know, you, you had to do something. So and of all the things they could have done, this was Okay, I mean, they could have done a different villain and a different situation they had to deal with. I'm glad there was a villain and not just them dealing with their grief. It would have been way too heavy then. Right. They had it's a it's a superhero movie. It needs a superhero. Yeah. I, I think I think I would have been happier with a different villain, maybe a different yeah. story. But for what it was, I, I yeah. liked it. Another character I really liked in this one was M'Baku. He has changed so much from that first Black Panther movie. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I really do like 
talking about characters who've who've had time to grow and change, Mbaku has really gone on a great journey and I I like what they did with him here. I felt like he has matured and become more of an a statesman in a sense. Yeah. An advisor and counselor. I mean, certainly not an elder yet. Right. There were the elders and he's not quite an elder, but he's definitely a mature person, a yeah. mature leader. Yeah. Where he was very immature in the first movie. Right. Right. He's sort you of think power hungry or deliberately whatever. Deliberately so. Yeah. Um but in this, he was he was a little bit more cautious, conservative, reserved. Uh, and he has a, a sort of a gravitas that he's, he's yes. acquired. And yes. I like that. That's very true. Um, also, they've kind of explained where Nakia has been. <laughs> you know, Nakia was the love interest for uh, Black Panther to, for T'Challa uh, in the first movie. Then kind of disappeared after that in the subsequent appearances of the Black Panther and the Avengers and that sort of stuff. Uh, where you think, oh, she should be there. Where is she? And then she's come back. And then we eventually get an explanation for where she where she's been and why she's been gone, um, which is was that was kind of a nice moment. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see her back. And I think that they could be doing some interesting things with her character in the future. I think she's an interesting. And I also think they're going to do something interesting with Okoye, uh, who's now the Midnight Angel. She's got that suit and that sort of uh -huh. thing. So that, that could be an interesting new character we could see uh, doing things, which I gather is out of the comic books. Also, uh, we got a little bit more of the Countess, Contessa Valentina, played by Julie Louis-Dreyfus. We get a little more understanding of who she is. She's been in a couple of things so far, mostly Disney Plus series. And they've they've mostly just been teasing her character. Like, clearly, she's going to have to feature more prominently in the, in right. the future. And she's, she's kind of a dark figure. I mean, she's not all dark. She's director of the CIA, I gather. I think that's what they, right. they made it out to be. She's the director of the CIA. But she's been recruiting. She recruited... U.S. agent, and she's recruited um, Yelena from the Black Widows, and she's you know she's been recruiting and picking and putting things together. It'll be curious to see where all that is going. I'm sure they're working. They've they've got a plan that they're developing. I'm sure. So, uh, Black Panther. So, in general, I would say it's the best of the this phase, this Marvel phase movies. But that's a pretty low bar because I, I didn't really love uh, Thor Love and Thunder. I didn't love um, Multiverse of Madness. Um, what was the other one I didn't love for movies? Um, the, uh, I'm trying to remember. I haven't seen the Ant-Man Quantumania yet. That's I'm going to we'll wait till that gets on Disney Plus. Uh, but I heard I haven't heard great things about that. So I'm going to wait on that. And um and then the various series, the best one of those is was the Loki series. But I, I, I liked Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I really liked Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I liked WandaVision. And WandaVision, yeah. And I loved Hawkeye. Yes. So, I mean, the series, I think, so far in this... In Ms. Marvel. In Ms. Marvel. I yeah. think so far in this phase, the series have definitely been much more my favorites than the movies. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I think that this the stories have have been it's been better storytelling in the series than the movies and maybe it's just i'm more interested in the kind of stories that that can develop over eight hours yeah <laughs> 10 hours yeah i agree 
So I just want to quickly follow up on two things I've talked about before, two two series that I, I mentioned that I was watching. Um, the Ark, I don't know if I'm going to keep watching it. Uh, the acting is pretty bad, honestly. Like Some of the acting is okay, but there's some pretty bad acting and some pretty bad writing. And I just, I'm, it's very frustrating to watch now because it's just so tortured. And, the, and it's just kind of boring because we're just on board these ships in space and running around corridors. And that's kind of all it is. And I don't know. And it just, it, it, they, they, they contrive these situations and solutions that are just not believable. And just, they, they, it's, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I might, I think there's like maybe one or two episodes left in the season and I'll watch that, but I, I don't think I'll watch any more, uh, future seasons. Uh, I did finish on Netflix, the night agent, which I was mentioning about the FBI agent and the um, White House and that this uh, this conspiracy in the White House, that was really good. Um, surprise! Some surprising developments, uh, surprising deaths, and um, pretty good resolution. There was um, the 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 final climactic action sequence really stretched believability. <laughs> But that's okay. It, it was not so much that I couldn't uh, couldn't accept it, and uh, it was good. And then there's a promise of future seasons that they've that they've you know hung out there. So hopefully we'll see more of that. But I did I did like it. That was uh, that is one that I, I felt was pretty good, and I would recommend it. Um, so that's two things. You said you had some books that you finished. I have. Um, this was sort of a week for reading short, quick. Uh, Kidlet. So I read Tom's Midnight Garden by Philippa Pierce. Yep. And um, this is a, a, sort of a classic children's fantasy. Um, I'm going to say it's from. It's old. It's old. <laughs> like the 50s, maybe. I'm trying. I'm trying to find a date and I'm not seeing it. Um, Th- Tom's. Midnight Garden. It's, this is riveting podcasting. Philippa Pierce. Yeah, it was originally in the fifties. Okay. Um, and so it's sort of a classic story trope. A uh, little boy is sent away from his mom and dad and younger brother because younger brother has measles, and so he's sent to live with an aunt and uncle. Um. This is sort of a British literature thing, isn't it? The the child who's sent away because somebody else is sick. Right. I mean, and in the time before vaccines, this was a fairly common thing, like quarantining kids. And so he's sent to live with a childless aunt and uncle who live in a very boring uh, apartment. And it's ruining his plans for the summer uh, where he, he and his brother were going to build a fort in their backyard. And... At first, he's very glum and sulky, and then he discovers that there's a garden outside the back of the flat that's only there at night, and it's not there during the day. Oh, fascinating. And uh, so he's sneaking out of bed every night uh, to go play in the garden, and somehow time doesn't pass. No matter how much time he spends out in the garden, time doesn't pass, and he can slip back into bed. And it's the same time, not very long after he 
left their his aunt and uncle's apartment and he goes on an adventures and i really liked this one it was one of the best books i've read in a long time like in terms of uh children's literature evidently it's a classic even though i've never heard of it um in terms of like it's very well respected by a lot of people who um write and read children's literature so i was really happy to stumble upon this um and then uh, Lucy read it, too, and she enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get the other kids to read it. Anthony kind of looked at it and go, what's it about? A garden? <laughs> no, thank you. What's it about? <laughs> um, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was a little bit darker than I expected in terms of the way that the story played out. Um, it gets into some, like grief and nothing really super dark it's a kid's book but it wasn't all completely happy and sunny and i liked that and then i also read the whispering nights by um penelope penelope lively penelope lively yeah philip appears and penelope lively the two names are like bumping around in my head and i can't get them straight um and this is another kids book i want to say it's from either the 60s or 70s so a little bit later and it reminded me a bit of susan cooper's uh oversee under stone and i'm not sure which one influenced which but there's a lot of similar resonances anyway the story opens with three children who have attempted to gather the ingredients for the witch's spell from macbeth um and uh, so they put all the ingredients or the things as close as they can get to the ingredients because some of them are kind of hard to source. Like Eye of Newt? Yes. <laughs> um, like for the toe of frog, they, they find some canned frog's legs and throw them into the cauldron. and They get the, toes on them, I guess. And the tongue of dog is like the tongue from somebody's stuffed animal. Um, <laughs> so there's there's some like, and I think at a couple points they have to use drawings of certain ingredients and they just like it's close enough but of course it's one of those stories like you mess with things like that and what if something comes when you call don't mess with the occult kids right um and it was a very short book but something comes something wicked this way comes. something wicked this way comes and then they have to fight it and it's one of those stories where they have an older an elderly person who is advising them, but who doesn't really personally get involved to a great degree. Um, and in this case, it's an an older woman who has been letting them play in her barn. And uh, it involves some standing stones and a lot of classic tropes. And I liked it. It was, it was a fun little adventure story. It was not, I mean, it was like, you know, read it in an afternoon. Okay. Um, it had some some deliciously creepy moments. Mm. And uh, a overall, you know, nice story. They also have to save the town from the uh, encroaching developers who want to, you know, bring the highway through their little cozy English village. So there's a little bit of the, mm. um, yeah, you know, fight, fighting, fighting the evil of from the past but also well, you know, supernatural and natural evils and the natural evil yeah 
And I liked that. Uh, so good. Those were my two books for the week. Awesome. I am still working my way through an excellent histor- history book called Armageddon about the uh, the World War II in North Africa, uh, specifically from Operation Torch, which the Americans landings there, all the way through the um, Italian campaign up the peninsula, the Italian peninsula, uh, by Rick Atkinson called An Army at Dawn. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Uh, and I think we both agree it is very well written. The this is the one we were talking about how the prose is so well right. done. I I haven't read it, but Bella has read me a couple of excerpts and that's what sci-fi. she's what yeah. she's read. I was like, wow, that's really well written. Yeah, there's some really good stuff. So Bella and I are reading at the same time, although she's doing the thing that you do, which is like her bookmark st- stalks me through the book and then passes me, and she's finished the book long before I finish it. But yeah. she's also book she's also highlighting stuff as I go, and I'm like, wait, those aren't my highlights. <laughs> so because um. She's on my Kindle account. It just was easier back in the day to just put them on my Kindle account. I know that that means that they can read any books that are in our library. But frankly, I look at that as they could do that with real books on our shelves. So it doesn't bother me so much. Um, um, yeah. I, I kind of sometimes wish that we had a separate account that they couldn't read. There have been a few books that I've sort of gone, well, do I want to check that out? Do I want the kids to have access to it? Maybe not. I suppose. I mean, we've told them, like, look, don't just read anything that's in there. But. Bella, I trust. It's the. Curiosity in the others. Curiosity in, in some well, certain younger people. Who I have to admit, when I was a kid, I sometimes picked up books that I saw laying around and read them and, and was exposed to things that maybe I should not have been uh, at the time when I was too young. So, yeah. Entirely possible. So, uh, so that's what we've been reading and watching. Let's talk a bit about Divine Mercy Sunday and the readings for today. Uh, I have to admit, I I didn't get notes from the deacon's homily today. Um, I just um, he had like there's three things: bump, 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 and I got the first thing written down. And by the time I got that like recorded, he was on to something else. And I'm like, Oh, I guess uh, I'm going to miss that. And then I, I just didn't write anything else down from the rest of that. But uh, there is some interesting reflections on the readings for today and how they go along with divine mercy, the, the idea of the divine mercy. Um, and I, I like to look sometimes look at Scott Hahn's website, uh, the St. Paul Center.com, stpaulcenter.com for biblical theology. And he has a section called For Priests where he does uh, Sunday Bible reflections. And frankly, it's supposed to help priests write their homilies, but I find, frankly find it in, an interesting way to reflect on the gospel, the readings for the Sunday. So his reflection here talks about how the readings kind of give us a window into the life of the church after the, after the resurrection. You know, the first reading shows the communal life of the, of the church in, in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, they, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the communal life, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. I mean, basically to catechesis, evangelization, and sacraments. I mean, that's kind of how how that comes together there. Uh, so it's the family life of our first ancestors of in the household of God as um, 
as Scott Hahn talks about. And we also see that in the second reading with uh, First Peter. Uh, actually, it's not in the second reading itself. It's actually, he references something in First Peter 4. Um, the the second reading is only from First Peter 1. And, uh, and then we see in the gospel a appearance it's kind of like it, it's it's a mess because they take place on sunday you know the appearance of jesus jesus shows up they're having a meal and jesus shows up like hey we have a meal and jesus shows up that's called the mass and uh he comes to be with his disciples as scott says as scott says here they rejoice listen to his word and receive the gift of his forgiveness and peace he offers his wounded body to them in remembrance of his passion and they know and worship him as their Lord and their God. That's the Mass, in a nutshell. And uh, and then, of course, we have Thomas's famous uh, doubting. But really, it's a profession of faith as well. Because when Jesus comes, he's, he, you know, Jesus says, put your finger here, see my hands, put your hand in my side. But Thomas doesn't. It doesn't record that he does that. It records him saying, my Lord and my God, like he believes. He doesn't actually, he doesn't have to follow through. Like, because he had said the previous Sunday, hey, unless I can put my fingers in there, you know, and put my hand in the side, you know, in other words, to make sure he's not in a hallucination or a ghost or some kind of vision, but, you know, make sure he's real, then I'm not going to believe that. But he, it turns out that he doesn't need those things. He does see the Lord and believe. He doesn't have to touch and believe. Uh, but Jesus does say, you know, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So um, we see, I never really got that he didn't actually do it. Touch. Yeah, it doesn't say that he does. Jesus tells him to put your fingers here. See my hands. Bring your hand and put it at my side. Wouldn't you do it if Jesus told you to? Well, I mean, or you would just go, oh, boy, I made a mistake. I believe my Lord and my God. Because it doesn't like maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But the text doesn't say he did. Right. And it, and it would. It, it, I mean, it, it doesn't have to, but it could have. So Thomas did touched the wounds and put his hand in his side and said to him, my Lord and my God, like I would, that would fit in e- easily there if, if that was what uh, John wanted to write. But John didn't put that. He put Thomas simply answered him and said to him, my Lord and my God. So, I mean, would it have been better if he just believed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what Jesus is saying. If he just believed what the others had told him. But the the fact is, is the others saw Jesus. They didn't, they didn't not see, but get told about it and believe. It's not like the others had done something better than Thomas did. Thomas did exactly what they did. He saw Jesus standing there and believed. Right. He didn't get a chance to be there when the others were there. This is, hey kids, don't miss mass. <laughs> Where was Thomas the week before? Um, which is, you know, who knows? I mean, it doesn't say wh- why he wasn't there. Maybe he couldn't make it. Maybe the, he was being hunted by the Romans or something. Um, so I did like that. Maybe he went out to get food. 
yeah, he was <laughs> he was doing the Uber Eats run. Uh, Peter hadn't told me to get the extra ketchup. Uh, so I guess, I mean, yeah, you know, there's not much more to say. I mean, I do like the fact that it does say Jesus. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe. And interesting how it follows up from, you know, blessed are those who have not seen, but have believed. And so these are written so that we may come to believe. Right. Yeah. So we are given the, we're told like the apostles, the other apostles told Thomas, will you believe it's sort of a challenge that John is laying out for us there. So you're in, you're in the Thomas position now. Are you going to persist in your unbelief or will you believe based on the testimony of others who are trustworthy? So nice. Anything else? Um, not really. I have to say, I'm. <laughs> I'll let you take that one. Okay, that's that's fine. All right. So we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create raising the bets, including Erica P, Jonah M, Jonathan L, Father Paul H, and Sydney O. Their generous tax deductible donations, which is appropriate on this day, as the episode releases this tax day in the United States. So uh, your tax deductible donations to our 501c3 nonprofit at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue raising the bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that phrase, by the way, to, that will help us continue raising the bets. Uh-huh. That is a bit of a pun because yeah. it literally is true. Uh, your donations pay my salary uh, because this is my full-time job and that helps us raise our family. Uh, and we we do pray for all of you who help us in, in this. I mean, I pray for you all every day, uh, not just those who give, but also all you, our listeners. We really do appreciate you. And we hope that these podcasts, all the shows that we do, edify you, help you grow in your faith, and, uh, and make your life better. Well said. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another podcast on the StarQuest network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash secrets.